Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. This is the very special Monday pickups edition. I'm Andy Barron's here to help guide you along the way. And of course, I am joined per the usual protocol by multi-sport fantasy legend, Scott Pianowski. Scott, how are you this morning? Doing great. By, by the way, you sound absolutely lovely. I just wanted to say that. Um, yeah, it's a great day. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to find something in life that you love as much as Bill Belichick loves tormenting the Jets. So um, as, as a Patriots fan, knowing that this team isn't going anywhere, the fact that they got to pile in on the Jets and, you know, throw play action passes and deep throws with their backup quarterback. Just uh, everybody in the New England sword, except for Jacoby Myers, who, of course, would go into an allergic shock if he were to be in the end zone. <laughs> but everybody else scored. So um, I guess Ramondre Stevenson was a tough you know, game day scratch. But it was fun to beat the Jets. And it was you know, some hits, some misses. Um, you know, I'm still looking for that 5-0 and throwing darts week. But it was uh, I, I got through the week seven by Coppolips as best I could and um you know need need a couple of things on Monday which I won't go into not much I don't need much on Monday I'll probably not watch the first quarter and just hope it takes care of itself without me watching it and then I'll start to sweat it out but it was a good week I need Monday night to basically be single combat between Alvin Kamara and uh DK Metcalf as long as those two each go for 30 plus uh I feel like I should be okay how how soon after a Jets Patriots game by the way do you and Salfino actually talk <laughs> Because he was raging yesterday on Twitter. Imagine that. Um, I, I won't talk to him about the game. I don't. You can't poke the bear with Mike and the Jets. Um, <laughs> I, I think. I think you know the story with that. Um, you, you mentioned Devonte Adams. I, I think it's important for fantasy analysts to own their misses. And um, I'm in one twenty team big money league in Denver. We draft four hundred guys, and then you just watch them play. There's no positional requirements. And I am, yes, I'm very proud that we got Khalil Herbert in the 20th round of that draft, like pick 392. But a uh, smart guy that I am, it's a distance scoring formula. I thought it was a good idea to take DK Metcalf ahead of Devontae Adams. It was the, the Wayne Gretzky skate to where the puck is going, not to where the puck has been. And I love Devontae Adams. But I'm like, well, you know, he's not, he's not the biggest touchdown guy with distance. I thought maybe Metcalf could have some nuclear season it, it, it turns out, yeah, there were nuclear seasons out there. They're, they're named Cooper Cup. They're named Jamar Chase. Um, I just got offered one cup trade trade offer unsolicited in the league. Here's the thing. Here's the rule with Cooper Cup offers, okay? It's kind of like Derrick Henry. If it's not an obvious yes, the answer is no. I saw a yeah. cup. Like, okay, I was not overwhelmed by this trade offer. No way am I trading Cooper Cup. 
But as you were positing in the script, you know, how many receivers are ahead of Jamar Chase right now on the on the sheet? I mean, I think Cup is right now in a a redraft. If you were starting fresh, I would take Henry first. I would take Cup second. You were allowed to take Jamar Chase anywhere from three on. You could take him over Adams. You could take Adams over Chase. I think that's a coin flip. Tyreek Hill, no. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, I think you should still try to trade him. He still doesn't have a double-digit target game. Stephon Diggs is fine. I mean, Chase right now is my number three receiver, and I really could have him at number two. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I was I was a little thing I was tweeting about yesterday. Like, I legitimately think that maybe Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are the one-two in some order. Um, if we're if we're drafting a dynasty roster right now, at least at the wide receiver position, right? They both played on the same damn college team just a couple years ago. I can't think of many players that I want ahead of them. So, yeah, you beat me to it. We talked about uh, we talked about Burrow last week on the pod and valuing him rest of season. So is Chase overall, is he like if you if we're just redrafting right now from scratch, is he in the first half of the first round? Is he in the middle of the first round? Like where does he go overall relative to to all the other running backs, too? Because this is ridiculous. He's he's on pace for over eighteen hundred yards on the season and he's basically scoring a touchdown per week. And it. I don't know. We're deep enough in right now. We're seven games in like it's legit. There's no like we're not having fun with on pace numbers anymore. We're at we're at nearly half the season. You hear a key phrase. We're seven games in. It's it's time to stop thinking, oh, is Corderell Patterson like a legitimate thing? We're we're in deep <laughs> into October now. Yes, Corderell Patterson's a real thing. The funny thing about cop, I, I believe I, I forget who mentioned this on Twitter. I believe his yards per target would easily be the highest in history. He's not getting targeted off. The, you would think, oh, the way he's playing, he should be getting targeted off the bus. T. Higgins had 15 targets yesterday. I mean, they're, they're not even <laughs> forcing the ball to Jamar Chase, which I think they're perfectly within their rights to do. Right. I it's only within the last couple of weeks that Jamar Chase even has like double digit targets. And man, I, and look, I'll, also, I, I wasn't as emphatic about this as some people, but I thought Cincinnati maybe should have taken an offensive lineman, maybe should have taken Sewell. The idea being, OK, you already have some pretty good receiving talent here. Joe Burrow got beaten up really good in his rookie year. Obviously, it ended with an injury. So I, it wasn't that I was like, you can't take Chase. I, I thought Sewell was the right pick. I lean Sewell. I, I wasn't making my Twitter brand all about, oh, my God, the Bengals screwed up again. It was, it was nothing like that. But <laughs> um, so, you know, old takes exposed. They probably have plenty of material with me. You know, once they find out I, I took Metcalf over Adams, they can have a good laugh about that. But I, I thought maybe they should have taken the lineman. Of course, that looks totally wrong now. And um, I, I just regret not watching more LSU at the time. It, it's just funny how you, you see some of these offenses, you know, you, you see what Alabama's had the last four or five years. I mean, when, when Nick Saban got to Alabama, they were they won on defense. They threw the ball only when they had to. Yeah. Now they've been a team that just takes whatever they want. That LSU, off. I mean, college football is just ridiculous, right? The first team to 50 wins, or sometimes they don't even win, they lose in overtime. But yeah, the Bengals are fun, man. They were the lead of my my wrap-up. If you haven't got a chance to read my booms and bust piece, uh, the Bengals were the, the lead of that. And always check that out. There's a bunch of a quick hit bullet points at the bottom. I, by the way, have, I don't think I have Jamar Chase anywhere. I'm just enjoying this as a fan. And I'm hoping when he has the next, you know, 200-yard, two or three touchdown blow-up, you mentioned Jefferson. He, I mean, this is a Jefferson season. This is a Randy Moss season. This is a season yeah. where he just toys with the NFL, and you just hope it isn't coming at your expense. I've been fortunate enough that my opponents haven't had that much Jamar Chase. I'm sure it's coming. Uh, there are storm clouds rumbling. It just hasn't fallen <laughs> on me yet. But but sometimes the point, like Jefferson, I didn't have. A, I don't think I had any Jefferson last year. But the guy was so so much fun. How much could how could you root against him? Yeah, I've got. Um, I I don't mean to say that I 
I mean, I got a million things wrong in the preseason, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know how you many things do. I got wrong in the preseason. But one of the nice things about fantasy football is you only need to get a couple of big things right. And I, I got the Jamar Chase versus T. Higgins thing right. And I'm going to end up getting the Cooper Cup versus Robert Woods thing right. And those are just two of the huge hinge points, basically, of, of 2021 fantasy football, I think. Oh, yeah. Cup, you know, the thing with Cup, we, we knew he had touchdown upside. He, he was one of the three players who had double-digit touchdowns two years ago. We know he's a great route runner. But he got comfortable with Stafford so quickly. Th- those guys eat breakfast together. And McVay, with all those crossing routes and those combination routes, they just they don't just scheme for Cooper Cup. They scheme so Cooper Cup is wide freaking open. It looks like the defense yeah. has been told Cooper Cup has a communicable disease. Do not go near him. He's you know covered in, in, in toxic waste. You don't want any part of Cooper Cup. He's got radiation, whatever it is. He's always open. And he's got a profile to score touchdowns. He's got double-digit targets in every week. Again, DeAndre Hopkins, week seven. He doesn't have a double-digit target game the whole season. Cup has all he has yep. is double-digit target games. That's such an overwhelming weapon. Again, my rule of thumb on these things: if, if you're the Cup trade offer you've been fielding is not an overwhelming yes, it's no. It was fun to watch. Uh, I had Cup and Stafford in DFS this week. I, I was able to, you know, Foster Moreau was a nice cheap play, and Dante oh, Pettis yeah. was a nice cheap play. I had a plenty of cheap guys I liked, so I'm like, oh, this is great. I can just play whoever I want. Who do I want? Oh, I want Stafford and Cup. I actually thought Stafford did a little bit less than what I expected. I thought it was nice that the Lions raced out to a lead. But um, And if your fantasy season is disappointing, you're right. If these pickups leave you cold, you can always play DFS. And then you, Cooper Cup can be on your team or Jamar Chase can be on your team every week <laughs> if you want. That's the beauty of DFS. You know what my favorite thing was about Cooper Cup when he came into the league? Um, and, you know, Old. I, I always just do a little bit of, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to be like the scout that is breaking down every piece of game film from these guys. But with the with the smaller college guys like that, where do you go? Uh, Eastern Washington? Yeah, directional like Washington, um, yeah. Yeah, a directional Washington. When, uh, guys like that, I, I'm, I really only want to see them when they faced, you know, Power 5 schools. And they'd get one shot at a Power 5 school every year that he was in college. And he went supernova against all of them, like a, just a man possessed, like, a, like an angry receiver, right? Like he'd get Oregon one year, he'd get like Washington another year, and every game was 200-some yards. Every game, he just absolutely detonated against him, and and I loved him, um, absolutely loved him. So I've always been partial to him, and finally, uh, it is it is paying off so far without injury, which is a good thing. Uh, you mentioned pickups. That's why we're here. We're here to get through the pickups. I do want to issue little bit of a I don't know a caveat before before we dive into some of these names and it and it it goes back to something that you mentioned last week there is a very good chance coming off again the the six teams that were on by this week are basically all fantasy juggernauts there was a lot of talent that was sidelined this week and and so a lot of those guys got kicked to the curb right and so there's a very good chance that the best players available in your league were just weird drops that were that were going into week seven, right? It's going to be one of those Bills receivers. It's going to be one of the Jags receivers. It's it's going to be any number of players that have hit the waiver wire. It's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be the Bills defense. It's going to be Tyler Bass. It's going to be, there's just going to be some odd things out there that you're going to find in the waiver wire that are probably more valuable than anyone least for fantasy purposes that Scott and I are going to be talking about today. So I just want to make sure that you all go take a check of your league's uh, waiver wire before you before you actually dive into any of these names. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Buffalo guys. Our, our friend Mark Stopa was tweeting about that today. Monday is, you don't think of it, even if your league is Wednesday waivers, which they should. The players who do not play, who are on by, are generally going to be free agents in your league. 
And what happens on Monday in Yahoo is that you can cut somebody who you didn't start. So yeah. it, it leads opportunities. And you, you think like, what? How, how do you steal points, right? I mean, everybody's going to fight for the hot pickup at, at running back or receiver. But a lot of times stealing points is picking up a, a defense or a kicker ahead of time. You know, somebody, Buffalo's defense wasn't playing so well that it's automatic they would have been held through a bye week. Their schedule gets really tasty going forward. I'm in a league. I wish I could do this. I'm in a league where Justin Tucker's coming up on his bye week and Bass is available. And I would love to swap that out, except that I played Tucker this week, of course, and I don't have anybody on my bench (laughs) who's a plausible drop because I I had a lot of really good players who weren't playing. And I'm trying to find a way of, oh, okay, could I cut a tight end who I actually want to start next week before a kicker, especially when I'm getting rid of Justin Tucker and gifting him to somebody else. So I have to weigh whether or not that's worth it to me. But now this is the one season. Week seven was the one season with six buys. There are other weeks, not not this coming week, but there are several other weeks this season where four teams don't play. That's where, again, the cadence of auditing who was dropped on Wednesday, looking at the secondary pickups on Thursday and Friday, and then Monday should be part of your fantasy routine. Who's on my bench who has expired? Maybe they've gotten hurt. Maybe, Maybe they just came into a situation like Stevenson where he didn't play for New England. You could cut him. And who is it who's coming off by who's available? And again, you know, we, we'd like to find a running back or receiver. That would be great. But it, it may be a quarterback. It may be a defense. It may be yeah. a, a kicker. Every point counts. I, I got Arizona that way a couple of weeks ago and then got a pretty good score from them against because they got the gang up on Houston. And the reason why I love this on defense, we don't waste a lot of time on defense here. But here's the thing with NFL. Everybody's you and Frank Schwab always talk about, oh, I'm eliminating survivor right away. Nobody's eliminated Survivor this year. And you know why? Because there are like five or six teams that are <laughs> awful. Houston is awful. The Jets are awful. Uh, there are three or four other teams who are just really, really bad at football right now. And that that's who you want to play is the fantasy defense against those teams. And again, defenses don't get held during bye week. So, you know, some people be like, ah, I don't like fantasy defense. Let's not count it. You know, we know Brad Evans has famously gotten rid of kickers in every one of his leagues. The uh, you know the overlord of power that he is, but <laughs> I want every point that counts. And for as random as kicker and defense looks, okay, I'll say one final thing about this: is as producer John is like, you know, cut off Pianowski's mic. <laughs> when I get asked a kicker a kicker defense question, I always say, well, say somebody asks me which defense to start this this team A team B. I always look at the point spread. The point spread is your friend. Yeah. One team's favored by seven yeah. points. One team's favored by two points. Play the team favored by seven points. End of story. That's where, yes, is there a ton of randomness to those two positions? Yes. But do you want to bank on a favorite or bank on a you know, weak opponent? Absolutely. That's the way. It's, it's so simple. That's the way you handle that team, that position. That's the way you measure it. I know you didn't just diminish my achievements in Survivor this year. That didn't happen, <laughs> did it? Because I am I am in the midst of an unprecedented deep run into October in Survivor, having never survived a September before in my life. So I, I feel like I don't know. I feel like you're you're minimizing that. You are the Gloria Gaynor of of uh, of elimination pools. You will survive, Andy. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Uh, glad everybody knows it. Um, that's probably enough survivor discussion. Uh, let's dive in. Let's dive into the recommended pickups this week. Uh, we're going to start with the running back position. A uh, couple of couple of injuries of note uh, in the same game. Of course, everybody knows the the zillion different injuries that uh, that were present coming into the week. Uh, and then and then on Sunday we saw Miles Sanders go down with an ankle injury. Had to be carted to the locker room. Josh Jacobs suffered a chest injury uh, in that same game. Thankfully, he had he had scored a touchdown and helped his fantasy managers uh, ahead of that. So the guys that I wrote about 
And hey, I recognize that I'm not selling you any gems here. I don't really have any. I, there's nobody that I'm about to name that I think is going to is going to carry you to a fantasy championship necessarily. We're just talking about guys that I think can get you through a handful of weeks. Uh, these are some of the names that I'm that I'm going to give you. I'm going to start with Samaj P. Ryan, which feels weird. Because I don't know that he's a particularly flashy back. I don't know that he's a great back. He did find the end zone in the beatdown that Cincinnati gave Baltimore. He's also facing the Jets in week eight. And that man saw 12 touches uh, uh, against the Ravens, which is the same that Joe Mixon did. Now, he did a lot of work late in the game when it was, you know, a multi-score game. And it was it was salted away already. But uh, but Samaj P. Ryan has been a bit of a thing. Kenneth Gainwell, obviously going to be a popular ad after the Sanders injury. He scored a touchdown on the, um, in fact, when Philadelphia feels like uh, a million years ago that they were actually winning that game against the Raiders, but he scored the opening touchdown in that game after Miles Sanders had been so fully established too. Like they, they finally had a game where they were they were clearly committing to the run. Miles Sanders dominated the opening drive and then Gainwell scores on a 13-yard reception and saw a handful of touches after that. It's probably him and Boston Scott taking over that backfield in the absence of Sanders. I mentioned Devontae Freeman. He's headed into a bye. Can't help you this week. Realistically, you can actually probably drop any Ravens running back headed into their bye week. Um, but I do think he's the most interesting name in that backfield moving forward. And then you you mentioned the Patriots at the top. Uh, should we react to the big weeks from Brandon Bolden and J.J. Taylor. J.J. Taylor obviously found the end zone a couple of times when the Patriots, I believe, were up 75 points or something like that. Uh, they were both very late scores. Bolden had quite a game as a receiver. Is he? Is it as simple as he's the new James White? Yeah, I, I do believe Bolden's a good pickup. You're right. Taylor scored in garbage time. Don't want to chase that. And I guess Almost the entire game was garbage time. Fair enough. The Jets still don't have a first quarter point this season, which is unbelievable. They just <laughs> come off the bus trailing 13 nothing. it feels like. But New England had four of their five presumptive uh, offensive line starters back in this game, which I think is a big reason why you saw Harris got off the spot really quickly. He, his uh, yardage prop, I think, cashed in the first half. Uh, but he's a two-down grinder. They don't throw a lot of passes to Damian Harris. So I think Brandon Bolden, not, not quite – Maybe the full James White experience, but I think maybe 70 to 80 percent of it. He's been with the team a lot. He's in the circle of trust. One of the players that Belichick will occasionally actually give a compliment to. Taylor thing isn't real. The Bolden thing for, for what it is. You know, he's going to be running back 36 on a half point PPR list in during bye week season. That's kind of what you're getting with Brandon Bolden. I do have some level of interest with the Ravens running backs only because they're going to be so widely dropped or ignored in most leagues because they don't play this week. So they can't help yeah. you. Devonta Freeman has the most touchdown equity of, of their legacy package. I still don't understand why they haven't signed Adrian Peterson yet, just to get it over with. You know, why isn't Frank Gore here? Um, you know, this this team wants they, they want to be the 2016 All Stars, and that's fine. Freeman's the guy most likely to score a touchdown with Clavian Bell. Like you, you know that like Terrence West is calling every day. Right? <laughs> they can't make a trade for Carlos Hyde. Um, so Freeman's got <laughs> the most touchdown equity, and and a little bit of receiving equity. And the thing, Tyson Williams was their most efficient per touchback in, in week seven. Now, that game got out of hand quickly. It, bit, it basically turned into the Lamar Jackson, can you save us show? And, you know, Jackson had a perfectly fine game. He couldn't bail the game out. But I wonder what it's going to take for Williams to get more. I, I realize he's not the, the biggest guy in the world, and he's had some mistakes. I think he put the ball on the ground once this season. He's had at least one blitz assignment that he missed. But 
there's no upside with these older running backs. I, yeah. I think at some point Williams is is going to get a chance. He's just nine percent rostered in Yahoo. He's somebody if you had the flexibility to hold it back. I think he's a nice growth stock that I might want to put a chip on. I, and I'm bearing the lead here because if if Sanders can't play, there's going to be a Philadelphia back who comes to the relevance. I got to think it's Gainwell. The problem is everything in Philadelphia, all food chains point to Miles Sanders. So it's, he did not have a rushing touchdown in the Raiders game. I think they were smart enough to realize, you know, why, why bother sneaking or running with, with Hurts when this game is over? No player, we, I feel like we say this every week, no player has a bigger gap between his real-life value and his fantasy value right now than, than Jalen yeah. Hurts. I'm not sure that he's any kind of a long-term solution, Philly. I think they realize that, but he's certainly a fantasy dynamo. A game will I prefer to Scott, but it's, you're going to have to play to your league's fab situation, what what you need. If, if it's a bidding war over Kenneth Gainwell, I'm, I'm probably going to try to sit it out unless I'm really desperate and I need to win yeah. at all costs. Scott would be the secondary pickup. The thing with Piran is that for whatever reason, with one game accepted, the Bengals are not throwing the ball to Joe Mixon. Now, Mixon's had some nicks, but they like P. P. Ryan has, has enough of a role that Joe Mixon is unlikely to be a bell cow here. He'll be the, the head of the committee. He'll be the 70-30 back, the 80-20 back, whatever it is. He'll get plenty of touches. I'm, I'm not saying panic on Joe Mixon, but I don't think he can pay off his ADP as long as they think that P. Ryan is enough of a change of pace back that every week I think P. Ryan has 7 to 12 touches in his back pocket. And again, when you have injuries at running back, when you have bye weeks, I'll, I'll only two this week, and you have the Jets, you would think favorable game flow is coming. I'm sure a lot of people are going to take the, the Bengals in elimination. I, I don't know if Andy's allowed to give his survivor pick because he's on such a roll right now. But <laughs> I the keep Bengals, it behind the paywall. Right behind, yeah. There you go. Well, you know, uh, I, I want the I want the Yahoo Fantasy Plus newsletter to be all about Andy Barron's elimination <laughs> genius. I, I want like seven paragraphs on that. And then maybe yeah, you can squeeze can in a question to a beat writer and link to one of Matt Harmon's pieces <laughs> and call it a day. Yeah, sounds good. I, by the way, we, we, you know, it's, it's a great product. You'll love it. And he's a, a wonderful writer. But Piran's P- got equity. He's got touch equity and he's got receiving equity. This team actually has a very narrow passing tree. And for whatever reason, Joe Mixon's not in that tree. Joe Mixon's not in that photograph right now. So Piran's got a role. He's on an offense smoking. And they're up against one of the patsies of the NFL. Yeah, he'll he'll be he'll be inside the top thirty on my running back board this week. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's if if I'm just adding somebody uh, as a plug and play for a single week, P. Ryan's probably my target. Which uh, you know, can can I bring myself to actually place a, a twelve dollar offer on P. Ryan? I don't know if I can. Uh, I would I would have to really need the win. This is not a week where I want to burn through a lot of the budget at the running back position. It's not great. I don't feel spectacular about Gainwell either, only because I it, it seems pretty clear that Boston Scott is going to be as involved as Miles Sanders was before, perhaps, right? Like, that's still going to be a bit of a committee. Let me mention one other thing, too. You talked about bidding, uh, burning through fab. Mostly, you had to check your leagues. because It's not universally one way or the other. But many leagues allow you to trade fab resources. Yeah. And... I was in a league, uh, I was offered a trade this week. It wasn't really quite really equitable for me, but how can we bridge this? Well, I asked, well, will you throw in some fab? And, um, you know, got some extra, you may be low on fab and you may have player resources you want to trade. Maybe the opponent doesn't have the perfect fit, but an allowance of fab thrown into that trade will make it worth it for you. So just remember that, again, you have to check your league's rules. Not every league will allow this. Some leagues don't even allow trading at all, but... Uh, fab throw-ins is something you should be considering when you're negotiating those deals. 
Yeah, it's basically a player to be named later, except that player could be hugely valuable at the end of the season in the most important week. So it's a it's a really good tip. I want to move to quarterbacks on the wire, and I think I want to separate one guy entirely, uh, and he is probably the player that I have received the most the most non sit start questions about uh, over the over the last week and a half, uh, and it's it's Deshaun Watson. He is he is widely available, obviously, in in Yahoo leagues for reasons that should be perfectly clear. It, it's a it's a loaded conversation that I've been really reluctant to have on Twitter. It's just not a conversation that you can have on Twitter, right? You can't have it with a character limit. Um, it's super complicated. There's a million different variables that are that are tied to Watson right now. P- as people know, he's facing 22 civil complaints. He's facing multiple criminal complaints. There's a lot here. The league hasn't intervened yet because they haven't had to because Houston has kept him on the sidelines. He is clearly the subject of plenty of trade rumors from many sources, both national and regional in and around the Texans. I feel like something's going to happen. I don't want to attempt to step inside the war room of a team that is contemplating a deal for him. Again, it is an absolutely loaded acquisition. But uh, at the moment, as far as I know, he's he's eligible to play for a team. He could show up tomorrow and he could play for a team. In each of the last three seasons, he's been a top five fantasy quarterback. So I shouldn't need to tell people that a you know, healthy, focused Deshaun Watson, who's familiar with a playbook, obviously he would have to, you know, if he shows up in Miami, if he shows up in Carolina, he's going to have to shake some hands, meet people, learn, learn the game plans and whatnot. But I also don't want to pretend that he can't possibly be a fantasy factor. I don't have him on any rosters. I can say that if he's any kind of fantasy success story this year, it's going to be somebody else's. It's not going to be mine. I haven't been comfortable with the situation. Um, I, I, this is definitely one of those situations where I feel like I can't, I can't confidently say anything. Um, I, I don't have a I don't have a clear notion that he's that he's going to be eligible when traded. I don't know that the league won't intervene in some way. Um, it is the whole thing is is fraught and difficult. I haven't added him. That's the only thing I can say. What what have you done with respect to Watson? Yeah, very little. Um, well said with all the obvious qualifications and just things. Yet the preamble you have to put out there. I mean, there's a lot of things that Watson has been accused of that are unsavory and, and nobody feels good about that. We, we have to say that up front. I only recently, maybe in the last day or two, did I even check to see if Watson was available in any of my leagues? Because it's, it's a case of in my one quarterback leagues, I don't need him. In my two quarterback leagues, he's probably already on somebody's roster because right. he would have, yeah. he would hold so much value in a league like that, that you could justify using the roster real estate. It turns out that anywhere where I would plausibly theoretically want Deshaun Watson he's not available and I, and I was as a person I was just refreshed by that because I don't have to go down this ambivalence I would have about picking him up now the next question is okay what if he does get traded somewhere who would want him who, who would be willing to take the, the you know the PR hit and and to say well we want to put our best team on the field and even though there's all this stuff hanging over his head and and just it's, it's not just what he's been accused of, but the, the fact that so many different people have accused him of it. You know, it's it's not a, a one one on one. He said, she said yep. story, but it, it's just a a volume of of complaints um, and, and charges that have been pressed. But I'd like to think that Tua Tagovailoa has played well enough the last couple of weeks that he's bought at least the rest of the season in Miami. Our producer, John Gennaro, was comparing Tua to a left-handed Chad Pennington with the, the arm <laughs> strength they have, where it's like, you know, the ball can get where it needs to go. It's, if you're looking for a Dan Marino flick of the wrist, your Justin Herbert flick of the wrist, unfortunately, Tua and and um, Herbert will always be linked 
together because of the way they were drafted, but you're not going to get that. But in Tua throws, and as you pointed out, there's always a couple of oh-no throws with Tua every week. The, the pick he threw in London was terrible. He had a couple yeah. of loose throws every uh, on the Sunday, week seven. But I'm fine with where he's at. I think Miami should, should see it. There's nothing wrong with Miami playing this out. They have all sorts of you know leverage with picks. There's going to be good quarterback options coming into the draft. If they decide at the end of the year that they don't like where Tua is at, I think they can readdress and maybe they'll miss on Watson, but whatever. Do you want Deshaun Watson with all the baggage? Maybe it's not worth it. So I would like to think that Miami would steer away from this. Now, Carolina has the defense. It's scuffled in recent weeks, but I think what's happened in Carolina is that the entire team is collapsing from the weight of Sam Darnold, who got off to a really good start and he slumped. My friend Kevin Payne of Rotowire mentioned that. Is it funny how Sam Darnold has slumped since he lost tight end Dan Arnold? I, I don't know if there's any connection <laughs> to that. It was not like Arnold was, was breaking the breaking records before he got traded to Jacksonville. Thank God he's off his bye week, Andy, because you know, week seven without Dan Arnold was really difficult. But <laughs> I, I wanted to, all the positive narratives for Darnold, of, he's away from Gase. We like the Carolina coaching staff. Look at all this talent he's throwing to. And I realized McCaffrey got hurt early in the season. And Hubbard's not a bad player. He's not Christian McCaffrey. I'm just not making any bones about that. But there's DJ Moore who's been in, up and down. Uh, Robbie Anderson and Darnold, whatever chemistry they may have had in New York, it did not carry over to Carolina. They just look like they're on different pages every week. And, and Anderson's become somebody. I even dropped Anderson in a bi-week pinch last week, and I didn't. And then Anderson had a nothing game. I didn't feel bad about it, at least initially. We'll see if that happens down the road. Carolina's still on the hook for a pretty big chunk of change for Darnold next year, but it's not prohibitive. Yeah. They could go out and get Watson. I think that would be the most logical place if something happens before the i think it's november 2nd trading deadline you know, there's no guarantee this happens before november 2nd but if watson is traded carolina looks like the most plausible landing spot darnold's not going to stand in his way and this good receiving talent so i could see watson being inside the quarterback one cut line later this year if he becomes a carolina panther yeah it does seem it does seem wild to me at a certain level to to decide that you have to make this move because like once you've traded for Deshaun Watson, like you've fired all of your bullets, right? You've you've theoretically you've traded three first round picks or whatever it is that Houston is is asking for. I think I've read three first round picks, two second round picks, something like that. So you're not gonna you're not gonna have capital to go after anything else. And this I can't is, believe they're gonna least, get all that. By the way, they can float that out there right. if they want that. When you consider everything that's part of the totality of a Watson deal, how can a team right. trade that much for him? I, you know, a guy who hasn't played in a long time, who's got all this stuff hanging over him that could go a number of directions when the NFL ultimately decides to reckon on it. I, I don't think whatever Houston is dreaming they're going to get, I don't think they're going to get it. They're going to get something sizable, but it, three ones and two twos, I, I don't know who would, who would command that now. Yeah, it's it's just an eye popping ask. And then you think about the quarterbacks that are that are theoretically uh, going to be available in the offseason, right? Like, I mean, maybe Aaron Rodgers is happy, um, but but certainly the buzz was that Aaron Rodgers could become available. Russell Wilson could again become available. There's always three quarterbacks in a draft class that somebody thinks are generational talents, right? Like there's just there's there's always a wave of talent coming into the league and becoming available. I'm I'm surprised that any team would say, nope, it's going to be Watson and it has to be in November. I think the over-under on Rodgers and Wilson players changing teams is one. At least one of those guys is not going to be right. with his team next year, maybe both of them. To me, I mean, what Rodgers made the joke about this being the last dance in Green Bay, right? I mean, isn't the Adams deal up too? I don't think I don't I think Rodgers is coexisting with the Packers. I don't think he's at all happy. And, and look, he's and he's letting his hair down, right? I mean, when he said, I own you to the Bears last week, I think that's his way of saying, this is the last time I'm going to play here. 
as a regular <laughs> weekly stop. Right. So let's get right. it out there because next year I'm going to be in the Broncos or on some other team. So I, I don't think Rogers is coming back. And I think Seattle has talked itself into this idea that maybe we'd be better off with Russell without Russell Wilson. And then it's going to be like two weeks into next season. They're going to be like, yeah, man, we had number three. He was a pretty good deodorant when this team stunk and he would just run around and make a special Russell Wilson play and, and throw it to, to Baldwin or Lockett or Metcalf or whoever it was, you know, or Jimmy Graham, they propped up one year for 10 touchdowns. You're going to really miss Russell Wilson when he's gone, but um, I, I yeah, think they're going to be as blindsided as Collinsworth was a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Who knew Russell Wilson was this important to the offense? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, also the NFL who just, you know, they, they put three primetime Seattle games up in a row and, and little did they know oh, that they were, yeah. they were saying we're going to be the Geno Smith experience. Um, I don't mean to, to talk Geno Smith. He's certainly good enough to be one of the 64, you know, pilot chairs in the NFL, but he, he's a backup. He's a career backup. Uh, although some people say he didn't get a, a fair shake with the Jets, but does anybody get a fair shake with the Jets, Andy? But, <laughs> man, I'll, I'll be glad. I, I feel like Geno Smith moved into my house. It, I thought it was going to be for a week. It's turned into a month, and I'm ready to, like, help him find uh, his own place, you know? I, I don't need to be roommates with Geno Smith anymore. Oh, that's that's very well said. Um, let's let's get past Deshaun Watson. I haven't uh, again. I, I haven't added him anywhere. Uh, it, it's too it's too complicated. A situation with so narrow a lane for him to actually be fantasy relevant this year. I I just haven't pulled the trigger. Um, it Let would me have say to one be more thing about this. Just one really yeah. quick thought. If you are in a situation where you want to see if something develops, at least you're going to know quickly because the deadline is, I believe, November second. So this story, he has to be traded before then. If he has not been moved then, you're going to be cutting him. So if you want to yep. wait and see, if you want to add him and he's still available to you, if he has plausible upside for your team, you can at least do it now and you'll get a pretty quick reveal of whether or not this is going to be something. So it's not like you have to hold him for another month or something like that. All right, let's talk about quarterbacks who can actually help you yeah. in week eight who are probably on the wire. Let's see, we've got we've got Lamar Jackson on by this week. We've got Carr on by this week with the Raiders. But that's it, only two teams on by. That's good news. Zach Wilson has that uh, PCL sprain. He's probably going to miss multiple weeks with that. Not that you are leaning on him in a one quarterback league uh, and you were only barely tolerating him in Superflex. Uh, the other, I suppose, closest thing that we came to a big injury was Mahomes taking an enormous hit, but it seems like he's okay. He actually participated in the, in the postgame press conference. So, uh, I, I assume that he's going to be just fine. The guys that I highlighted in the column this week, a couple of them just based strictly on matchup. Daniel Jones is about to get Kansas City on Monday Night Football, and Kansas City's defense has, of course, been dreadful. Teddy Bridgewater, assuming he's still hanging on to that job. It wasn't, it wasn't great on Thursday night, I'll say that, and perhaps a compromised and unhealthy Teddy Bridgewater wasn't the best choice. I don't know. But he's about to get the Washington football team, and they have also been dreadful. They uh, entered Week 7, allowing the most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. Uh, I'm just going to throw Carson Wentz in this thing one more time, who threw the most hilarious ball in that uh, in that monsoon in uh, San Francisco on on Sunday night. Had a, it, it, I mean, that game was just a comedy. Right. And I, I don't even blame anybody for for turnovers or fumbles or, or curious decisions. It was a it was a wild scene. But he's got Tennessee, the Jets and Jacksonville coming up. These are all favorable matchups. And he's the guy who gets to lob passes to Michael Pittman. That's a that's a pretty good gig. I uh, should also note that Tyrod Taylor is at least returning to practice. Presumably, he will return to the starting quarterback's chair for Houston. 
And I, w- I want to toss Trey Lance into this as well, because I'm not sure how much longer. I mean, you know, we heard the, the postgame comments from Shanahan, and it was something less than a ringing endorsement of Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He's, he's hedging a little bit more. So there's certainly a path to Trey Lance getting a start against Chicago. Of all the names you mentioned, Daniel Jones against Kansas City sounds good to me. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of it's on the injured list right now, but the Giants have really good skill talent, right? I mean, yeah, Slayton can play. When Tony's been healthy, he's fantastic. We've seen flashes of Evan Ingram actually showing value. Dante Pettis has, has come out of mothballs. You know, he was, um, as you pointed out, was on. You know, Brandon Ayuk is basically following the Dante Pettis pattern of you know, getting <laughs> the San Francisco doghouse, and you know, maybe he'll be with the Giants in a few seasons. We'll all forget about it. But uh, Pettis was a really nice, like a, a Sunday day of, oh, I'll pick up Pettis. I, I need to find 10 or 12 points in DFS or maybe as a, as a flex play. There's talent here. We don't know if Barkley would be healthy. The Chiefs defense can't stop anything. So the names you mentioned, Jones is my preference. Now, I, I don't know what your roster threshold is for the pickups. There are a couple guys just under 50% who I actually think are worth adding, but they may, may not be available in that many competitive leagues. Two has played perfectly fine the last two weeks. Now he gets Buffalo, which is not good. But I, I'm, yeah, I believe Tua it was two was matchup based like Buffalo's number one against the pass. I'm 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 perhaps not as sold on Tua okay. as, as others are. That's fine. Uh, so well, I, it, I was surprised you didn't mention Trevor Lawrence off a bye, 41 percent. I think he's gotten a little bit better every week. And the Seattle defense will come in on short rest. It has not been. This, this is not the Legion of Boom, obviously. This is, you know, the, the decal still has a Seahawk helmet on it. And we think, oh, Seattle, they always have good defenses. I mean, the last I checked, they were like 25th in DVOA defense or something like that. I get it. We don't like Urban Meyer. And, and Chark's out for the season, which is, is going to be a sting. But they have Marvin Jones. If they want to, they have LaVisca Chenault. Um, I, I still think Lawrence, you know, for all the people who talk about, oh, you know, Mac Jones at the top of the rookie class. I mean, for a second, eventually Lawrence is going to is going to show and, and maybe for a new coaching staff. I don't think anybody thinks the Urban Meyer experience will last past this season if it even lasts the full season. But I think Lawrence has 18 to 20 points waiting for him in Seattle, 41 percent. So a lot of a lot of you probably can't get your hands on Lawrence. But, you know, Wentz is only 37 percent. That number isn't that different. Uh, but I'm in on Daniel Jones and you know, Jones is a sneaky runner too. the thing with Jones is. He can do apparently a little, he's a sneaky receiver as well. He had one of the best catches of week. Well, seven. yeah, Dante Pettis throws his receivers open. We all know that. But <laughs> Jones is going to have it. You know, Monday night against Kansas City. You know, you would think the for all the problems with Kansas City, you would think they would at least get back to their their offense for the most part has been good. Um, and you know, every team you have to keep in mind that every team during the season and now it's seventeen week season for everybody, eighteen weeks of, of play, but seventeen games. There's going to be results where you look at and say, how did that happen? You know, we, we look back and go, how did the Steelers beat the Bills? We look back and say, how did the Saints absolutely annihilate the Packers? And you know, Kansas City is a, a team with flaws that maybe they won't make the playoffs. We know the defense is terrible. We know the offensive line has problems. We know they've, they've struggled to find a third pitch behind Hill and Kelsey. Maybe Hartman's just never going to turn into that player. Maybe Demarcus Robinson just doesn't have any more room to grow. Maybe Byron Pringle is just always going to be just a depth player and nothing special. Daryl Williams, nice player, but not a great player. But still, they have Mahomes, they have Kelsey, they have Hill, and they're going to get 30 against the Giants. And that total, I would think that total is probably going to be in the mid-50s. We'll talk handicapping with Frank Schwab tomorrow. It's not always going to be pretty. But Daniel Jones is scoring 23, 24, 25 points this week, and I want you to get a piece of that. Yeah, that's basically how I felt about quarterback this week was that it was Daniel Jones and everybody else just looking at the matchups ahead. Man, do I hope they get at least two of like, it's crazy how good a week he had without Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Tony. 
three guys who sort of in their in their role can be absolute stars. You get two of those guys back against Kansas City. I like I just want to see Kadarius Tony against Kansas City's defense because that that has hilarity written all over it. Um, Tony's looked phenomenal, but any of those guys could absolutely scorch. Is it fair? I can't watch Tony and not think of Odell Beckham's rookie year. Same type of story, right? First round pick wasn't ready to go right away. And then when he gets on the field, you think, I, who do I compare this guy to? I had nobody to compare Odell Beckham to. And the player I compare Tony to is Beckham with, with the body control, with the ability to stop, change direction, and yet get to top speed so quickly. I, mm-hmm. Man, I, again, I, you know, I talked about not watching LSU when I should have when they had all these pieces. I mean, you know, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony were on the same football team. Somehow they went 8-4. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the old Miss situation with, with Metcalf and – and Dawson Knox and AJ Brown isn't fun to see AJ Brown doing AJ Brown things again. No, but it's kind of it's kind of the Odell Beckham Jarvis Landry situation at LSU. A season oh man, that ended yeah. In the oh, yeah. Alfred Blue and all all those did so yeah. many good running backs in those teams too. But they, Jeremy Hill, Zach Bettenberger was the quarterback. I think that was mm-hmm. part of the problem, which makes you wonder how can you recruit every great athlete at the skill positions and not get quarterback right? I mean. You see what the teams do now. You know, teams that have great quarterbacks just recruit great quarterbacks anyway and let them sort it out. And whoever gets the look what's yeah. happening at Oklahoma, right? I mean, Rattler was supposed to be a first round pick. And now he's he's going to transfer any any minute now, probably because he's been passed by a player who's better than him. But yeah, LSU could never solve the quarterback I, anyway. Daniel Jones is my play, and I, I do I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to be somebody who um, who's is going to probably have a good second half. A lot we've seen a lot of times with rookies. In recent seasons, we saw it last year at the running back position, but it can be any position where they get a lot better after their bye week. They get a lot better after uh, maybe, you know, six weeks, eight weeks of play. Again, it's hard to have faith in the Jacksonville coaching staff. I don't think anybody has that, but I I still believe very strongly in Trevor Lawrence as not just a long-term prospect. I think he'll have a good second half. Well, we hit on a handful of receivers there, so let's dive into pickups at the wide receiver spot this week. The guys that I highlighted in the column, again, this is not exactly a murderer's row that I'm about to give you. Michael Gallup, apparently returning to practice this week, at least in a limited capacity. That was reported by our mutual friend, Michael Gelkin. That is good to see. A little part of me wonders if Michael Gallup is not going to be a, a trade ship for Dallas if they decide they need it. I don't know. He's um, he's great. I know that. He's not a guy who's necessarily going to see the volume that Cooper does, that uh, that C.D. Lamb does, but he can do a lot with a little. He's going to be a high-variance guy, but a fun talent. Uh, Alan Lazard has touchdowns in back-to-back weeks, and they get a, a shootouty sort of matchup against Arizona coming up. I, now, now we're really in a in an area where I'm not terribly excited. But Khalif Raymond, I feel weird not mentioning because he's had a million targets in the last in the last couple games. He went over 100 yards against the Rams. That's something. I wouldn't generally expect yardage from Raymond necessarily, um, but obviously that's just such a dreadful uh, vortex uh, of of talent in that receiving core. He seems to be the guy who has stepped up uh, as a as a preferred target for Jared Goff. So that means something, at least in PPR formats. You mentioned Darius Slayton earlier. He at least has a chance to have a huge target game against the Chiefs, depending on the health of other receivers there. T.Y. Hilton, I would assume, is going to get back soon. It sounded like he was 50-50 for week seven, so that should make him something better for the matchup in week eight with Tennessee. Uh, I mentioned Rashad Bateman, although he is on bye. I'm really going to be hyping him when they come off of bye. Uh, and I'll throw, I guess I'll throw KJ Osborne into this as well. They've got Dallas coming up. He's been bankable, steady, more of a deep league special than anything else, but he has found the end zone a couple times. What do you like there? First of all, just the, the disclaimer, just barely under 50% is Kadarius Tony. 
I, I would yeah, trade. I yeah. would trade resources to get Tony. I, I, I want Tony's upside is so great that I, I demand of you, Yahoo listener, to get his roster ship where it should be, so we don't talk about <laughs> Tony on this. Other than we talk about the great play that he's had. Hopefully, he comes back healthy. There's too much upside with him that you get. You got to find room for him. Okay. Detroit situation. You came here for Detroit wide receiver talk. We're going to give it to you. <laughs> the tricky thing about Detroit is that it just seems like different weeks. It's a different receiver. Before before Quintus Cephas broke his collarbone, he had a few weeks. We've had St. Brown weeks. Uh, St. Brown had 23 targets in three weeks. Then he goes to the Rams. Jalen Ramsey says, "Ah, you know, St. Brown, you, you might as well sit down today. You're not doing anything. And Jared Goff had the presence of mind to avoid Jalen Ramsey. Uh, you know, Goff, you know, we, we saw Goff, Jared Goff is who we thought he was, right? He was good enough to contend in that game. And of course, when you needed a Jared Goff interception so people could stay alive in elimination yeah. pools, Jared Goff came through. Uh, Raymond is one of those players you pick up and he could have 80 yards. He could have 13 yards. None of it would surprise his receivers, the variance position anyway. I, I just don't know that. I think the St. Brown absence was just a one-week thing. I think it'll go back to this could be either one of these guys up against Philadelphia this week. Philadelphia's secondary is, is very gettable. Their defense is very gettable. So I feel like somebody's got 70 yards waiting for them. I just can't tell you with any confidence that Raymond's better than St. Brown. He was in week seven, but I don't know going forward if that's something we can bet I, you on. You know, I should have also mentioned Raymond is uh, like, Raymond's not like some young talent. He's on his sixth team. He's been in the league for a long time. He's he's fun, but this is a, this is a total journeyman. He's played for everybody. You know, I like that Bateman... Again, you have to carry him through the bye, and that's tricky. But he had six targets, I believe, his first game, and then he went up to eight or nine targets, something like that, week two. Now, Hollywood was peppered with targets the whole game, and, and Brown is probably ostensibly the number one receiver. But they do different things. Bateman is that physical Anquan Bolden type of guy that they wanted, and Jackson's taken such a step forward. I mean, this used to be the team that ran the ball the most in the NFL. Now they don't have any running backs they can trust. Some of it is always going to be Jackson with his legs. But Jackson's improved so much as a passer and they've bumped up their passing volume to the point that, yes, can, can we hold on to or pick up or make an offer to somebody on a Ravens offense who's not their number one receiver, who's not playing in week eight? The answer is yes, because the shape of this offense is different. So I'll totally sign off on your Bateman play. Other than that, man, I, I hope I hope with only two teams on by, I hope you have three good receivers to roll out there because I'm not seeing a lot here. <laughs> You, you'll have to wait on Dante Pettis. I would be fine to play Dante Pettis if other players weren't playing, but it's a Monday night game. And, and here's the thing, right? If you, you may need, I always talk about what, what what is a caddy in fantasy, right? A caddy is a player who you don't want to play, but you're willing to play him if you have to. Like you, Foster Moreau could have been a caddy for a Darren Waller yeah. manager, right? Don't know if Waller's going to go. Oh, he's a late scratch. Put Waller on IR if you can. You pick up Foster Moreau and he had a, what, 60 yards and a touchdown. Pretty good game for a tight end. That's actually a great game. So maybe Pettis could be your caddy if the player that you need, maybe there's a Kansas City player who's questionable. Maybe there's a Giants player who's questionable. Maybe Pettis becomes your emergency break glass. I can go that route if I need to. Um, but I would not play Pettis, certainly, if everybody was healthy in, in New York. We just don't know what the status is right now. Yeah, you're actually, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you threw Tony in there. I, I don't think I'd realize because it wasn't like this just a couple of days ago. I don't think I'd realize that Kadarius Tony's roster percentage had dipped below 50. That's wild. Um, he's an enormous talent. He's yeah, I, I agree. Like there's very few there's very few guys who who have these sort of ambiguous injuries where we don't know how long it's going to last, um, who I would really feel comfortable stashing on a roster. But if I'm any kind of, you know, 
unless I'm, I don't know, one and five, one and six, whatever, two and two and five. I, I, I want guys like that stashed for me. If he comes back against the Chiefs, great. If he if he needs another week, great. But I, I want Kadarius Tony in the back half of the season. So I'm going to just underscore that. I want I want Tony over any of these guys if he's available. Let's hit tight end. And this is this is also this is quite a uh, conga line of names. Um, I don't know that I'd feel totally comfortable with any of these guys. But the the guys mentioned in the column were Tyler Conklin. He's fine. He's seeing some volume. He's five, six targets a game. Uh, CJ Uzuma, he's got the Jets coming up. I don't know what to do with him. He scores touchdowns every week. He's he's only averaging 2.7 targets per game. I think he only has one game this year with over three targets. So there's not volume here, but it's just a great offense to be tied to. Mo Ali Cox is like the is like the the poor man's version of, <laughs> of of CJ, right? Like he's he's catching touchdowns every week too, but he's I don't know. It's like a bunch of these Hunter Henry sort of weeks where it's twenty yards and he's barely on the field and he only runs a few routes, but Mo Ali Cox inevitably uh, finds his way to the end zone. Uh, and I as a as a very deep league uh, potential ad, I threw Tommy Sweeney in there as well because we don't yet know the status of Dawson Knox, but I'd be surprised if he plays. He's got uh, he had a uh, fracture and a bone in his hand, required surgery. Um, it, it seems doubtful to me that he would be available in week eight. And of course, we saw Sweeney catch a touchdown at the moment that he caught the touchdown uh, uh, a week ago. You, you you might have thought to yourself, oh, hey, that's Dawson Knox. That's great. New- oh, damn it. That's not Dawson Knox. Um, so he's kind of imposter Knox, but he found the end zone. It could happen again, plausibly. Tell me what you like at tight end, Scott. What So well said. It's so frustrating when you see the tight end score and you just assume it must be the tight end I need. <laughs> yes. It must be George Kittle. <laughs> no, it's Ross Dwelly. You know, it's, it's very frustrating. Um, Con- Conklin stands above this class because he can get, it's plausible he could have a seven to nine target game where these other yeah. tight ends, talented as they may be, I don't understand why the Colts won't use my Ali Cox more. Jack Doyle, it must be the mascot of the team. There must be a Jack Doyle statue somewhere <laughs> in the proximity of that stadium because Jack Doyle has to play, man. I don't know why. And look, I get it. He does a lot of dirty work and all that. And a lot of tight end is blocking and chipping and, and being part of the running game and everything. But if I knew that Uzuma or, or Ali Cox were going to see any kind of target spike, and the thing, the thing with Uzuma He's scoring and not getting red zone targets, all right? We, we think a tight end yeah. scoring flips around the goal line. He's scoring 25, 30-yard jaunts where he catches the ball in the open field. He makes an athletic play. And the tight ends, right? We always joke about, oh, this tight end played basketball. I mean, these guys are un- – everybody in the NFL is athletic. Tight ends are unbelievably athletic. And you see – it's just beautiful to see a tight end galloping in the open field. We saw Zach Ertz. We were reminded, oh, yeah, Zach Ertz, you know, who's not even – who would never win the superstars of tight ends if they had one. But didn't he look great in his Arizona debut? So I wish I knew if the Bengals had a bigger role for Uzuma. And, and shout out to Liz Loza, who was all over that pickup this week and, and got the yep. benefit of, of it for herself in a couple of leagues. So uh, pop props to our friend Liz and happy birthday to belatedly as well. I wish I knew one of these teams had a an expanded role. I would prioritize Uzuma over Ali Cox only because Cincinnati's route uh, target tree is so narrow. They're not throwing to Mixon. They're only throwing to the three receivers. Boyd's actually had a disappointing year. So if I'm trying to guess which team may bump up one of these sec- secondary players to like a five to seven target role, I could see it with Uzuma more, but Uzoma, I'm saying his name wrong. I could see it with CJ more often than I could maybe with Ali Cox where the the Colts want to throw to the phone book. The Colts want to throw to nine, 10, 11 different guys. <laughs> you want the teams that only throw to four or five guys. So CJ over Moali, 
but but Conklin stands again because he Conklin can get seven to nine targets. Another very narrow target tree. They've already the buys already out of their their hair for the season. Kirk Cousins, professional quarterback. Uh, Conklin's the best guy in this group, and then I'd go CJ over Mo. Yep, I agree with that. Let's move on to let's move on to drops, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'm I'm uh, I'll I'll start us off here. I I I feel like I would drop basically any bear at this point other than David Montgomery, who hopefully you have stashed in an IR spot. I've seen enough this week. I I don't even know why I did it to myself. I watched every snap of that game. Like, what was the point in watching every snap of that game? I needed to watch the first quarter and I'd seen all that I needed to. It was one of those. I I feel like already you you probably hadn't rostered Justin Fields in any sort of one quarterback league. We that that ship had sailed. That was already looking like an impossibility. He couldn't even finish his dropbacks before the edge rushers for the Bucks were were on him and were strip sacking him. I don't even know what we learned from Justin Fields this past week. I'm I'm it seems doubtful to me that he learned anything this past week because there was so little to it felt just like the Cleveland game where there was just so little time to to do anything. There were on the occasions that he that he did have time to throw, uh, you know, there were some there were some killer drops. Cole Komet had a brutal drop. Darnell Mooney had a ball that just went right through his hands to a defender. Fields made mistakes, but there were so there were so many plays in which he had absolutely no time to process and and no time to even get his feet under him uh, before he was being hit. So it was just a it was just a terrible watch. It was an awful watch all around. And I basically told myself that this was the this was going to be the last stand with uh, with Allen Robinson. And if the Bears didn't put the ball in the in the air 40 times against the Bucks, which is what everybody has done. Right. Because you can't I mean, you can't run against this team. And we can I guess we can talk about Khalil Herbert separately. He looked fine. He did a lot of it in the second half when the Bucks were were inviting the run. Right. Like the game was over and the Bucks were like, sure, stay in bounds, run the football. Great. Fine. Um, I don't feel like I that I that I watched Khalil Herbert turn into a star. I know some of Twitter was was really excited about him. He's fine. I like when David Montgomery comes back I, to, to my eye, David Montgomery is just a much better player. And there's not some huge role for Herbert behind him. Maybe we'll see. Um, Montgomery is basically the only bear that I would hold on to. And I consider almost everybody else droppable. Yeah. Greg Cosell, who NFL films before the week seven game compared Herbert to Tiki Barber, who I, I think is actually a hall of famer. He's not in the hall of fame. Um, the voting populace generally doesn't understand combination backs. Go look at the final seven years of yeah. Tiki Barber's career. He led the league in yards from scrimmage back to back seasons late in his career. And he'd have, he's 15th in overall uh, yards from scrimmage for his career. Tiki Barber was a heck of a player. I don't know. I think Greg's maybe a little bit over skis on this one, as much as Greg's a, you know, knows more about football than I ever will. And an excellent film analyst. Yeah, like Greg's phenomenal, and I would basically defer to him on everything. Um, I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to overcredit Khalil Her- Herbert for a game in which Tampa Bay was was begging the Bears to just run it out. Fair, but he's done it th- three weeks in a row. He's done something. Now let's look at this Bears offense. Right, their high in passing yards for the season is 188 yards. That was the Andy Dalton opening night against the Rams, where the the storyline afterwards was like, how quickly can we get Andy Dalton out of here? Who wants to watch well, this? Well, Dalton never threw the ball more than, more than I don't know, nine yards downfield. I mean, the ball just never went anywhere. 188 yards is the passing high. And, and, and I feel for you, because I lived through this last year where the Patriots in the middle of a passing league had no passing touchdowns. The Bears have three passing yeah. touchdowns. Three. Count them. Three. When things are going good, they're going to want to win with running and defense. When things are going bad, when, when they face a matchup, you will not face a more funnel defense that demands you throw the ball more than the Buccaneers. Yep. They couldn't do it. 32 part, attempts. Part 32 of it is on fields. Attempts. Part of it is on 
is on Robinson. Part of it's on Mooney. I'll, I'll, Matt and Nagy is not going to be here. It's just a matter of, does it make more sense to let Nagy go during the season or after the season? I think teams, for all the clamoring to fire coaches in season, I think it almost never makes sense because then then you give a free spin to an interim coach. What if you get hot with the interim coach? Do you feel like you have to keep him? I think it just makes more sense to start over once the season ends. I would just let Matt Nagy play out the string. I, what are you going to get from changing? It's not like you can change a coach and make the playoffs now. I would just live out the rest of the Matt Nagy experience. But I, I think I like Herbert more than you do. I think if nothing else, he's past Williams. And because Montgomery's hurt, we don't know that he'll come back right away and won't aggravate an injury or he'll be at full effectiveness. So Herbert's somebody I am interested in, but you certainly have my permission to drop anybody in this passing game. My drop, 66% rostered, and it was 67% yesterday. So 1% of you have gotten on board with this. Understand what a sunk cost is with Brandon Ayuk, okay? For some reason, I, I never really understood. Again, we get a lot of stuff wrong. I never understood why this whole idea was that Debo Samuel was the two here and Ayuk was the one. I, I thought they would be roughly even. I thought Samuel had a chance to beat Ayuk for sure. I, I didn't think the gap would be what it is. And I didn't think Ayuk would just keep making mistakes either on the field or off the field. You know, he had a really bad training camp. Apparently, Kyle Shanahan kept us under wraps. He was kind of silently benched for the opener at Detroit. He made a terrible judgment. Ayuk did on a punt in that rainy game at at San Francisco last night. I, I, I realize it's hard to take anything from a game where the weather conditions are that deplorable, but they don't trust Ayuk. It's a team that wants to run the ball. It's a team that doesn't really have a quarterback with, with any passing juice right now. Garoppolo's not playing well. What we've seen of Lance at this point has not been encouraging. And even when they do throw the ball, it's going to be to Debo. It's going to be very soon to George Kittle again. I, I think Ayuk's upside is maybe the third option in a, in a passing game of a team that doesn't want to throw the ball. And I yeah. get it. You don't want to, you, you spend a lot of draft capital on Ayuk. You, you don't want to drop him. But if you can't start him, if you can't trade him, if you can't use him, he's just getting in your way. And you have to, yep. I always say this, if you me- never make a, a drop that makes you nervous, if you never make a drop that eventually <laughs> comes back to bite you, you're playing far too conservatively. It's a poker game. You got to get caught bluffing once in a while. Don't let Brandon Ayuk stand in the way of what you need to do today because he, he's right now, is he's a slow developing photo. You can't wait anymore. And I know they've already had their buy and and I know he's a first round talent, but this passing game is broken. Brandon Ayuk is not in the circle of trust. His roster number doesn't make sense right now. How wild is it, by the way, that that, uh, that muff punt that ended in the end zone, how wild is it that that's that that just became a touchback like that feels like that should not be the role like I I accept that that was a correct interpretation of the role but he muffs a punt inadvertently kicks it all the way back into the end zone falls on it and and they get the ball uh as a touchback I don't know felt wrong felt wrong to me if nothing else if, if you muff a punt and cover it in the in the end zone can you get the ball at the five yard line the 10 yard line I mean right. the, the Colts <laughs> right. get no right. benefit from that play doesn't seem right. to make any sense but I agree with you. There are all sorts of vagaries. One thing the NFL, let's, let's give credit to the NFL. One thing they have done, they didn't make a big production of this, but they've given authority to people upstairs and people outsourced outside the stadium to make judgment calls for the officials to clean up some of the, so we don't have the you know, endless reviews for something that, that obviously we all saw that could be fixed in two seconds, but the official has to go into the hood and, and you know get these delays. They've actually cleaned that up and, and made the games a lot more, flow friendly this season so i give the credit the nfl credit for that but there's still all sorts of nuance in the right in the rule book doesn't make sense we still don't know what a catch is pass interference is still a nightmare i, I don't know why we can't have levels of pass interference can't there just be contact versus the, the player was mauled and the 70 yard touchdown was taken away those are two different things but 
agree with you on yeah, the I learned roll. I learned something new about what a catch is uh this weekend with the uh, I think it was AJ Brown came mm-hmm. down with that ball out of bounds and immediately lost it and, but that was a catch sometimes it's a catch sometimes it's not that's what I've learned here's my rule if it's thrown to AJ Brown it's a catch <laughs> that's, that's what I'm enough. going with absolutely fair enough and that is going to do it for this episode but we will keep the conversation going on Twitter you can follow me at Andy Barons you should definitely follow him at Scott underscore Pianowski. For fantasy news and analysis from the whole team, please make sure you're also following at Yahoo Fantasy. If you haven't checked it out yet, Frank Schwab and Charles Robinson wonder if the Bengals will make the playoffs and if the Chiefs will miss them. Um, those are both strong possibilities. In the latest episode of You Pod to Win the Game, search for it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Scott will be back tomorrow with the aforementioned Frank Schwab, who is always on pods except for this one, uh, for the betting preview of Week 8 in the NFL. Till then, we are out. We'll be right back.